Hello and welcome to Southwest Londoners Six Nations Review Podcast. My name is Nick Powell. Uh, today we're going to be looking at last weekend's Six Nations games, and I'm joined here by Ben Hart and Stephen Thomas. And uh, from home, I'm also joined by George Wilson and Jess Tiplady. Uh, we might as well get straight into it uh, and start with Scotland versus France. And opening up uh, with, well, with these two here in the studio, uh, how good did we think France were? Are they the best team in the world? Uh, yeah, I think you kind of got to give them a lot of credit, particularly for, the, for their performance against Scotland over the weekend. Um, they've beaten the All Blacks, uh, who won the Rugby Championship in 2021. Um, and they've just looked unbelievably dominant over the entire Six Nations so far. They've beaten Ireland as well, who are, I think many people consider to be um, the best challenger. Uh, they've still got to play um, England as well, but I, I don't really see... Um, an eventuality where they, they stumble on that. They just look like every every aspect of their team, from their forward pack, the size that they have, to you know the flair in their backs carried by Antoine Dupont and Roman Untermack. It just seems like they're such a well-balanced team at the moment. And I don't, I don't see any other side with the, the same sort of level of performance and level of talent at the moment um, as what France have. They're clinical, aren't they, Ben? Yeah, and, and honestly, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm actually thankful for how good they are this year because it's it's so nice to watch a team who's so entertaining obviously England as I'm sure we'll come on to haven't been at their their best and um, Wales and Scotland have also flattered to deceive so to actually watch a team play such exciting rugby and, and I do think they'll be the ones carrying the flag for the Northern Hemisphere come the World Cup in 18 months time and and that second half performance against Scotland they could have been trailing at half time but but within you know, five ten minutes of that second half, they just they just took the game away from Scotland, and and then that's not easy to do at Murrayfield as England showed. So they're going to take some stopping, um, as Stefan said. That win over the All Blacks in the autumn, I think, it puts a lot of credit in in France's bank. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they do against against England in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, six tries uh, in their victory, which has now put them on a six-match winning run. Uh, Jess, is there any doubt about them going all the way in this competition? Or could, can they be stopped? No, I don't think so. I don't think so, Nick. I think, as the two boys have just said, I think they're hands down the best team in the competition. I think it's just a matter of time before we see them lift the Six Nations, Six Nations trophy. Um, I think they're going to run away with a grand slam. And I think they're 100%, as Ben just said, the favourites for the World Cup from the Northern Hemisphere next year. Um They've obviously got Wales next week, which will be a tricky, tricky game. But I see them coming through, like like Ben said, at half time. They could have been down against Scotland, but they still persevered, still came through, and then ended up winning thirty six seventeen, which is looks like a quite comfortable scoreline. I think. I think I'll do the same to Wales, and unfortunately, could be the same result when they play England in the um, in the final week showdown. So, so I agree with the boys. I think they're comfortably the best team in the competition, and I think they'll they'll run away with it. 36-17, yeah, that's right. It was 36-10 until very late on in the game uh, before Scotland got a consolation try. We'll start with you, George, for this one. Um, are Scotland setting their standards high enough? Uh, they've had a few brilliant wins in the last five years, um, but it 
keeps feeling like they're following them up with pretty poor results. They beat Wales for the first time since 2007 in 2017, and they followed that with a record defeat to England. Last year alone, they won away at Twickenham before losing to a Wales side they were tipped to beat. Same thing happened this year where they beat England and lost to a Wales side they were tipped to beat. And in autumn, they beat Australia before being hammered by South Africa. Is it history repeating itself? What can Scotland do to get out of this one step forward, two steps back position that they're currently seemingly in? I mean, as you said, it's it's kind of hard to assess this Scotland team at the moment. They seem to seem to be making strides forward um, and winning games against the big size before losing again um, to, a, to a top team. But um, in terms of this result, as we've said, France are, you know, the clear favourites in this group. Um, they are the strongest team in the competition. And so I think it's hard to judge Scotland on this, this game alone, really. Um, France were on a mission and they were absolutely ruthless, scoring six tries. Um, so Scotland have got two games left in the tournament, as have everyone else. And can, I'm just going to see who they're up against. And we'll, so they've got... next so i mean that's a likely victory for them and then they face ireland in the last game so you know it could be a, a good tournament overall for scotland they could get two victories there i mean they're clear favorites for the next match um and so i think the key is to judge them across the tournament if they get sort of three or four victories then i think that will be considered a good show for them ben you know what? I think they've actually been really unlucky. I think, as we've said, that that France team that, that they came up against at the weekend are just in such good form at the moment. And there was that handling error by Hogg on the stroke of half time. I think if that sticks and and he, he, he runs in seven points there, I, I think there's a big swing on the stroke of, of half time that, that goes Scotland's way. And it could have been a very different outcome. And even going back to the Wales game the week before, I think the way in which they were hammered in Dublin, it was going to be really tricky for whoever came up against that Wales team. I, I think even France would have struggled. The sort of weight of, of expectation and pressure on, on Wales, that was the first game in the Principality with fans in, in two years or since the pandemic. So I think Scotland, maybe the calendar hasn't been um, so kind to them with the, with the way the games have fallen. But, but I do think that they have, they have really just been a bit unlucky. And um, I, I think Gregor Townsend still building something there. Like you said, I, I don't think... It, this this you know one win from three games is really quite acceptable for, for where they want to to be and where they're looking to get to. Um, but I think a bonus point win over Italy um, is, is the minimum expectation for, for the next one, and, and then we'll see about Ireland after that. Yeah, that would still leave them with only two wins from the tournament if they were unable to beat Ireland away in Dublin on the last day, which does seem a bit of a tough task. But, I mean, I guess my point here is not so much that Scotland have, have, have had a disastrous tournament, um, but that they're not seemingly progressing year on year and actually properly challenging for the title. This year, more than any other year, we expected them to win their second game after they won their first. Um, and, and, well, what do you think about that, Stefan? Do you think that's fair or do you think I'm being hard? No, I think, I think you're 100% right. I think we need to go back and look actually at the Lions um, tour of the summer 
and see how many Scotland players were picked for that and how you know big a thing it was for the nation and how it was seen that they were progressing. They had this great side, you know, players like Hamish Watson and, and Jamie Ritchie in their back row who are really, really stellar athletes. I think they they haven't they haven't benefited from a couple of um, some injuries in their back row from the start of the tournament. Um, but then again, you know, Wales have suffered heavily in that in that regard as well. But what Wales have been able to do is really grind out results. And I think Scotland have been, I think they were a bit unfortunate against Wales, but the uh, I think at the same time, the wheels just fell off towards the end of the game. It never looks like they were, they were, they, they were going to compete at the end. I think also there's, there are, there are still big question marks about Finn Russell and his discipline. I think it's in th- after the um, the Wales match where he got a yellow card late in the game, that was three consecutive Six Nations away games where he'd got um, a simbining. And when he is such a central figure in that Scotland team, you've got to really question whether that is what well, one okay and how how da- damaging that is to the team. I think they're still moving in the right direction, but I think it's very much same as same as it was last year. You know, they had a very very good performance against England to kick off the tournament um, in 2021, and then. They, they just never really um, continued that that level of um, competitiveness from there. And I think that Ireland now is a huge game for them. If they lose that, I think then everyone's going to be looking at this tournament as another missed opportunity for Scotland. Well, before Scotland go up against Ireland, they face Italy next Saturday uh, in Rome. Uh, that's 2.15 kickoff on the 12th of March. Uh, and France... They travel to Wales on the Friday night, the night before. That's going to be broadcast on uh, BBC One. Um, We'll come on to Wales in a minute. But first, their opponents from Saturday, England. Uh, It was a familiar story for England, running up a big lead at Twickenham and uh, and ending up with a very narrow victory uh, against uh, the men in red. Lots of lots of different opinions on this amongst the group. I'm going to start with Jess um, because he was relatively positive about what happened on Saturday. Um, what what was there to impress you there, Jess? So you're exactly right, Nick. I am one of the more people who've come away a bit more positive about the feeling about England. Um, I just think it was in the end. It, it was a bit frantic, and it turned out to be quite obviously a narrow, slender four-point victory, but I, I do genuinely believe it was their best performance uh, of the Six Nations campaign to date. There haven't been many fantastic ones, of course, but I, I just think while they were far from their obviously fluid best, I just thought they were a lot more disciplined throughout. And at the end of the day, the 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 um, the, the things that Wales like, presented to them, they, they took advantage of. They, they they punished them. They punished the spirit of Wales side, obviously, uh, ravaged by injuries but it shouldn't take away that they still hung in this and they still claimed a, a victory against obviously the, the reigning champions um of, of the opening day defeat to scotland's it's kind of been hard to recover from i, I guess because it kind of in many ways seemed to undo all the good work that was done in like a really successful autumn series but um listen they, they obviously battered italy or, or had a very convincing win over Italy anyway, which we expected them to. Um, we expected them to beat Wales and they did. So I think they're in a good position heading into the final two weeks. There's really big grudge matches against Ireland and France. and But ultimately, they remain in charge of their own destiny, which is, I think, all you can ask for at this stage. So so we'll see. 
Well, we, we all know that there's a half-term report card article coming where uh, Ben Hart is going to disagree with you on that. And we'll let Ben make the case right now. Ben, why weren't you impressed with England? Well, firstly, I think it's, it's important to point out that Jess is actually off to England v Ireland. And I think his optimism, he's kidding himself because <laughs> he wants to go to that game. And he, and he actually wants to think that England are going to turn up. Um, and I think the reality is... Is, is far different. I just think that it's... it's. I can't remember a, a Six Nations victory for England that felt quite as meaningless and deflating as, as that Wales game did at full time. It was just a relief. There was no element of joy in beating Wales because the second half... Granted, I, I think the first half was quite pleasing and I think we should have been another um, three to seven points up. But the second half and the way we managed the game was just so turgid um, and we, we just looked so mechanical. And, and even Smith and Dombrandt, who everyone's been crying out for to, to play how they do at Quinns, even that felt forced. And, and the inside, the number of inside balls that we made kind of off Smith and, and it was it was also predictable. Um, and, and I just don't see how we've developed or progressed since the World Cup final two years ago. And, and I say we're in a worse state now than than we are then, both in kind of the performance and the results that, that we're actually delivering to. So I'd say it's worrying times. I mean, I, I would even go as, as, as far to say that, that there's a small, small element of me, Nick, that, that sort of hopes that Ireland or France give us a bit of a kicking because I think that that is what's needed to to either change something that Jones does or or ultimately even worse still from a from an Eddie in perspective if you are that way inclined is that he he packs his bags and and he goes is is now how I'm feeling about the situation well I mean for many would agree that that's a, that's a fair assessment um from a point of view of England in this game they have led 16 nil in uh, 19 nil, should I say, in 2016, 12 nil in 2018, uh, 33-16 in 2020, and this year it's 17-0. Is that because they keep letting up their level, Stefan? Or or are Wales is it Wales that are giving them too much respect in the first half and then bringing themselves back into the game? Um I don't know. I think we we sometimes are a good starting team, particularly in our World Cup campaign and the build-up to it with Eddie Jones. We were known as a team that started very, very quickly. And I think we've still got an off shot of that. But I think it also goes back to Wales. Wales enjoy being the underdog. They like chasing a team. They like being in that position. And I think when the pressure's off, that's when they thrive. And I think we saw bits of that over the weekend. You know, they had ravaged by injuries. Um, they're down on the scoreboard you know, playing in their own half and and yet they managed to do something in the second half. So I think while I think all of the criticism that Ben said is 100% warranted, I think there also needs to be a mention for Wales and how they managed to turn it around in that second half. Um, and I, I think that, you know, it's not always a problem if you if you have a good first half and it can be forgiven having a bad half. But I think the problem for England was the amount of chances that they still left on the field. We we came out 17-0 victors in that first half, but we could easily have had three or four tries. We were like a metre away from the dead ball line multiple different times. And I think that's probably going to be one of the most frustrating things coming out of the game, you know, that the, the amount of chances that were left um, just not taken uh, and Wales did that in the second half and they chased it up and almost um, gave England fans um, uh, a complete heart attack. But I, I think 
it's the position that Wales like to be in. Maybe England do kind of like getting those quick leads and then there's an element of complacency that comes in. But I think as well with a young team that we've got at the moment, game management is not the easiest thing to do. And I think that that showed over the weekend. Uh, George, um, what thoughts have you got in terms of bringing, bring, trying to bring the focus onto Wales now um, in terms of the way that Wales have done in this tournament overall? Are, are people, I would ask the same question as I did for Scotland, are people being too generous to them? You know, they were the champions going into this tournament. Um, they were very convincingly beaten by Ireland, beaten by an England team that's coming for heavy criticism after the game and only managing one win so far in the competition. I mean, there's no doubt that it's been a poor tournament for Wales. Um, as you said, they won last year's tournament. Um, but I think they have to be judged slightly less harshly because they have had so many people injured, like key players injured, such as Alan Wynne-Jones um, and a few others, Lee Halfpenny, I think. So, so yeah, it's been a poor tournament, but um, Wales Wales will be Wales and they'll they'll find the results when they need it, I guess. And... Um, yeah, so they've got uh, a tough few fixtures left, but I think this is a tournament for them that they just need to sort of blood a few new players in, and 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 they'll get back on it next next year round, really. Yeah, speaking of blooding players, um, have there been anything in the Welsh team that's impressed you, Ben? Yeah, I, I honestly think that the, the centre partnership now that, that's forming with Nick Tompkins and, and Owen Watkin is is really impressive. And we saw in that second half, being a Saracens fan as well, it's particularly pleasing watching watching Tompkins thrive. And it was really hard for them to replace Jamie Roberts and, and Jonathan Davis. And you, you still see Davis coming on in the, the second half at the weekend, but he's kind of just a... A forgotten man now. I know he's struggled with with injuries and form of his own, but it just doesn't seem he's going to break into that to that partnership. And they're quite young, twenty five and, and twenty seven. They they've got a lot of time ahead of them, and and for a pair that's kind of almost been been thrown together, um, I think Wales's backline is is really quite exciting, and and, it, and it's starting to be, be more and more settled now with, with Bigger at 10 um, and his experience. And then obviously um, you've got the likes of Williams, Josh Adams, we know is phenomenal. And, and I'm sure um, that we re-summit, we'll, we'll rediscover his form and, and be a, a key part of that, that Welsh backline for years to come. So you, you pair that with the likes of Tame Basham and, and Jack Morgan as well. I, I do think that perhaps... It's, it's difficult to say this when, when Wales have been champions last year, but it is almost a bit of a, a transitional year for them in the Six Nations. Um, and, I, and I think, as, as George says, come next year, um, another year into the, the Pivac era and, and a step closer to the, to the World Cup, there'll be, there'll be more of the sort of Wales that we've, we've come to, to know. And I won't say hate, um, but, uh, but <laughs> some English fans may. Do you think that's actually, do you think it's actually a blessing in disguise then? I mean, particularly the example that I would bring would be Alan Wynne Jones unavailable. Uh, he may come, may or may not come back into the team, but he's been unavailable and he's been replaced by Will Rowlands in second row, who's had a really, really good tournament so far. That being an example, do you actually think this is a blessing? Do you think Wales needed this in a way? Um, Stefan, Ben? Yeah, I think, I mean, as a Wasps fan, I like Rowlands particularly. So I, I think he's he's been, 
I mean, he's been knocking on the door before. I think he was the the, the player chosen to play alongside uh, Win Jones in the last tournament. And Beard has stepped up, and he's um, he's now the kind of de facto leader of that pack. But as Ben was saying, I've been really, really impressed with Basham in that back row. His his work rate is unbelievable, and it it just seems like he, his head never goes down. He's comp- always fighting for the ball. And you pair that with Tompkins in the midfield. Wells have got some really, really dangerous guys over the ball and very physical guys as well. And that's going to benefit them in the long run. I think they were kind of falling into a bit of a trap of relying on the older heads in the team. I think, I don't think half Penny's absence is necessarily the end of the world. I think you've got enough talent in that back three to kind of compensate for that. I think, you know, the absence of players like Navidi and uh, Tipperick have been bigger misses, but I think that, you know, the introduction of someone like Basham and, and the rest have been phenomenal. I think that that's helped Wales and PVAC grow and it's with any sorts of injuries it works as an excuse for the team kind of going well we're in a transitional phase but it also lets you kind of look forwards and think who are the options that we have and and who can we kind of blood and look to the future because you know someone like Alan Jones is a lot closer to retirement's door um, than a lot of the other players in that squad and I think PVAC's got to start thinking of the future and I think that's what this tournament has done for him. And just a quick word on on Toby Fowatow as well. The the length of time he's had out with injury to come back and play eighty minutes, make seventeen tackles. I mean that that's a man who loves representing his country. And I, I think I think you know I'd love to have Fowatow in the in the England back row. It's just his his dynamism, um, his ball carrying ability. I really do think he's the best eight in the world, and and I think to to deliver a performance like that, having just had I think it was two games for for Bath before his return, was was phenomenal. So I think I think Pivac's got a lot to work with there, and I think Welsh fans have been frustrated this year that you know they haven't really kicked on from from last year, and the autumn wasn't wasn't great in fairness either. But like we've touched upon. There are injuries to take into consideration, and and there's kind of this this weird sort of state where there's there's a lot of older players, but there's a lot of really quite junior players as well who who are just getting international exposure for the first time. So, I think I think Wales will, will, will come good again very quickly. Well, they face a really really interesting game next Friday, and they'll need all of that spirit against France uh, on the Friday night game. And if you're not lucky enough to be going to the game, like Jess is. Uh, England versus Ireland is going to be on ITV at 4.45 on the 12th of March. And we'll come on to Ireland. And well, there's very little you can take away from an Irish point of view from the last game, um, I I would think. Um, Jess, you're going to be watching Ireland. What are you expecting from them next Saturday? Well, to be honest, Nick, like you just said, I'm not entirely sure. I know Stefan openly said in his eyes they're probably the main challenger to France. But... Listen, they, it was an utterly dominant performance against Wales. They really put them to the sword. Um, and obviously, they've just absolutely battered the brakes off Italy. But we didn't We didn't learn. I, I would argue that we didn't learn anything against the game against Italy, in the game against Italy. I mean, playing against a side with 13 men. I mean, even when a, a team full of 15 Italian players, it, they're already going to be massively outgunned. Um, but, but I guess you just got to say they, that you've got to beat what's in front of you. And they did that. Um, they fell obviously to defeat against France in in, in the second in the round two, um, and from being twenty two seven down, I believe they fought back and it ultimately lost thirty to twenty four, which really it's a very good fight back, and I think they showed really good character. So 
it's certainly going to be a very, very tough game, I would say, for England. Probably the, the toughest they've faced so far, I, I, I believe. Um, and yeah, and you've, and you've got to give... I was going to say give Ireland credit as well because in in doing in with that fight back against France, that you've got to remember they they picked up what could be a, a crucial bonus point. So I think you know if you take things all, all things into account, obviously the drubbing of Wales, obviously the battle of they couldn't really learn much from that because I mean they just had to beat what's in front of them. I think everyone expected that. Um, and then obviously the fight back against France, I think um, I think they're in a really good spot as well. Unfortunately, and I think it's going to be a very very tough game. The one that both sides obviously really need to win. Have they get? Have they get? Uh, sorry, have they got any chance of kicking on? Do we think um, Stefan and Ben and actually winning the competition, or is France's schedule such that they should now go through and and Irish fans would be would be unwise to have any expectation really of being able to win it this year? I think it is France's to lose. Um, I think going away to Wales, it's, it's as we said, it's going to be tough on a Friday night, but then. At home on the last day against England, I think if you offered <laughs> France that opportunity to be at home, the eight o'clock kickoff on Super Saturday, they, they'll absolutely relish that occasion. And and I actually think that for Ireland and, and Andy Farrell, I'd say the the two games that are left, the two rounds left of, of this year's competition, are bigger for Ireland than for any other side because I think they, d- despite that that crushing of Wales, I still feel like they've slightly gone under the radar so far, this this competition where they are. And Farrell's obviously tried to um, make his mark on on the team. And, and it's easy to forget Ireland have never got past the quarterfinals of a World Cup. And that really is the, the marker of success for him. And they've had some issues with Sexton going out and Carberry coming back in and, and he's um, sort of altered the back line a little bit. But, but I think how they perform... At Twickenham, where they haven't always done massively well, and, and, and Scotland, who are going to be filed up on the last weekend, I think this is really a crunch time for, for Andy Farrell and and sort of working out exactly where Ireland are um, in this in this phase and in this cycle. So, I mean, I'm intrigued to see how they do, um, and, and I do actually think that England will somehow manage a win um, at Twickenham by hook or by crook. That just seems to be Eddie Jones's way. But, but Stefan, what are, your, what are your thoughts on Ireland? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the way that Ireland are playing at the moment. And I think the reason why the, the game against England is going to be so interesting is because at the moment, like what, what Nick has alluded to earlier, is that England are almost in a crisis of conscience at the moment. They don't know whether they want to play, you know, more territorially or whether they want to play more attacking rugby. You know, with, with Randall and Smith as the 9-10 combo, it seems against Wales last week, they were going for a quicker ball. But if this week he starts to go with Ben Youngs and goes back, reverts back to the way that they played before, you can't help but think that, well, is he, does he, does he really, does Eddie Jones really back that uh, attacking style of play? And with Ireland opposite them, you have a team that is fully invested in that style of play with Gibson Park always getting to the breakdown quickly, looking to get the ball out quickly to that um, Irish backline and the way that they use their their forwards to not not as battering rams necessarily, but just to increase the speed of the ball uh, and keep defences honest. That's going to be a challenge for England. And I think that it'll be, I think if England fail against Ireland, it will be very interesting to see how people react to it because Ireland at the moment are playing some very, very good rugby. And if England don't play well and lose to Ireland, that could be a huge 
red mark against Eddie Jones's name. And I think he could be under huge pressure. Obviously, both sides heading into the Twickenham clash are under pressure to win. You know, Ireland's still gunning for uh, the Six Nations title, as are England. Um, but I think there's a lot at stake for Eddie Jones in this game. And I, th I think that the, the furor that's been going on before about whether he's right for the England role will, will come back again if they lose to Ireland. Yeah, Ireland are favourites to win at Twickenham for the first time, well, that I can remember at all. They weren't even favourites in 2018 when they'd won their first four games and England had already lost two heading into the final round, obviously, where they won the Grand Slam um, back in 2018. I would like to ask this question to everyone, but I'm aware that we're a bit constrained on time. So, George, if you had to pick a winner in that game, if you had to put money on in that game, who would you go for? England versus Ireland, that is. I uh, actually would put money on Ireland. I think they are a very, very strong team. Um, even though England have home advantage, I think Ireland are marginally better. Um, I think it will be a close game though, perhaps uh, three or four points in it. Um, but yeah, Ireland, Ireland for me. Well, yeah, an interesting one for Ireland. It's interesting to know how much they would have actually taken from the game because um, we're coming on to the, the elephant in the room, the issue that we've kind of wanting, wanting to be talk, talked about. Probably the biggest issue that emerged from the weekend. Um, after two really enjoyable games on Saturday, uh, there was a red card um, to the Italian replacement hooker uh, in the, I think, 25th minute, um, which brought Italy down to 14 men. Um, unfortunately for them, uh, they'd already had to replace their starting hooker who picked up an injury about 10 minutes earlier. And it meant that they had to go uncontested in the scrums. And as a punishment, they lost another player. Now, they had to play with 13 players um, for over 50 minutes. And for those who aren't the most initiated into rugby, it's one thing playing with nine men in a game of football where you're able to kind of sit a few bodies behind the ball. Um, but in rugby, it really is on-the-line space. And if you have to, if you, if you have less of the field filled up by your men. It is an incredibly difficult task to be able to compete. Bad enough for the Italians. And to be fair, with 10 minutes to go, uh, they were only uh, 35 points behind, which is a pretty average defeat for them since 2015. So it was a pretty brave effort up to that point. Um, I guess there are always going to be debates about them being um, thrown out of the competition or not thrown out, but replaced with a relegation or promotion scenario with South Africa. But do you think any of that criticism would be warranted after that game on Saturday or do you, uh, on Sunday, should I say, or do you think that was it, that they were just victims of something that was very, very harsh, Stefan? Uh, I think I think it's one situation where the rules are going to be looked at. You know, um, Andy Farrell has come out himself and said that World Rugby are definitely going to have to deal with that because no one really wants to see um, a team having to come up against 13 men. You know, the, the game didn't help Ireland. It didn't help Italy. It didn't, well, I mean, the fans didn't enjoy it, I don't think either. Um, no one really wants that. The rule was brought in to stop teams, you know, feigning injuries, having hookers taken off and then going to uncontested scrums and uh, having, um, having a replacement come on and that replacement being uh, a back and then that, that helping you in defence. Um, that's why the rule was brought in. Obviously, that's not why the Italians went down to uh, 14 men. Uh, and, it, and it affects them. So I think it, it's definitely going to be uh, something that will be changed. I think in terms of Italy, I think that the conversation about relegation is an interesting one. I personally think that they should open up a pathway um, 
to the other European league, you know, teams like Georgia, Spain, who are doing well this year as well, I think deserve a chance at the very, very least um, to, to have a playoff match against Italy in this scenario, who are basically um, tightly held their grasp on the wooden spoon, um, which I think needs to be questioned now. Um, but yeah, I think going back to the game on the weekend, you know, Italy want to be competitive, um, but they're not. And the game went as soon as Italy lost um, two men. And in fact, there was a point when they were down to 12 men. You know, that's that's not the kind of rugby that anyone wants to see, especially at international level. So I think that's going to bring on huge changes in the game. How damaging is that for the game, Ben, when Italy have had seen their, seen their attendances at the Stadio Olimpico falling year on year? They had 70, over 70,000 in 2014 and 2016 to watch England play there. This year, less than 30,000, and that isn't pandemic related. Um, how damaging is that for any Italian who wants to sit down and watch watch the rugby on a Sunday? Venezia versus Verona is on at the same time. What would you do if you're an Italian fan watching? I mean, it's hardly the biggest game in Serie A, but I mean, if you have the choice of two free TV channels and you see the team go down to 13 men and concede a soft try moments later, what would you do? Well, it's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? It's 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 tough. I think they've they've really missed Sergio Parise, and and they don't have that kind of talismanic figure um, that really kind of. Stirs interest within within the country and gets everyone um, behind the behind the Azuri. So, what what would I do? I mean, I mean, you know, you, you want to see Italy do well. Work so hard in the nineties to earn their Six Nations spot, um, and I actually think they emerged from from the game against Ireland with with quite a lot of credit in the way that they 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 fought with. You know, with two players, and then as Stefan says, the three down. Um, so I actually think that that Kieran Crowley deserves deserves some credit, and and I, and I think they they played okay against England the weekend before, and of course um, they they beat England um, on the twenties six nil in in the under twenties championship, which which I think is important to note that at, at youth level at least there's there's signs of, of some change for them. So. It is sad, and, and you don't want to see any any team in any competition really kind of be be the whipping boys year on year. Um, but you know something's got to change quite quite quickly because these these conversations aren't going to um, go away anytime soon if, if Italy continue to have poor attendances, like you say, and equally poor results. Yeah, and, and it's interesting to go going beyond Italy actually, um, and I'll, I'll ask Jess on this one. Um, Rugby's trying to promote the number of people that watch the sport. You know, every sport tries to grow rugby. Some some of the things that international rugby does, um, you wonder if they are trying to grow the sport. Uh, and this one in particular is is pretty questionable. Um, you're perhaps not as avid a fan as as uh, me and Ben are of the domestic game, or Stefan, that matter, Jess. And how how does that kind of thing, those bizarre rules that kill a contest dead? How does that, um, well, do the opposite of piquing your interest in rugby? I think it's a very good point. Um, it, it's like you said, it's like all the boys have said, Nick, it's a complete turn-off to, to watch. I only caught a little bit um, of the game at the weekend and I have to agree with Ben in the sense that I thought you have to give credit to Italy because I actually thought they actually defended 
very like quite tenaciously considering they were down to 13 men and 12 men at some at one point um but it's just like you said it, it was however long an hour almost an hour or 55 minutes at the very least um it's just no one, no one wants to see it it's, it's it become although the game was probably already a formality because obviously Italy have become a bit like the whipping boys unfortunately um it's just it, it was a done contest there and then it was it was a it was just a matter of Ireland just seeing the game through and no one even Irish fans will not want to watch that um, especially from a neutral, from my point of view, if I obviously it's tries upon tries, and that's what you want to see. You want to see attacking, attacking rugby. Sorry, with with flair and stuff. You want to see like high scoring games, but not when it's so just anti competitive like that. It's it's not it's not good. It's not fun to watch. And as Stefan said, hopefully they they address it. Well, rugby have a look at the rule, and um, because I understand so quickly why it's been brought in, hundred percent. Obviously, because of as you boys have explained, I understand why the why the rule has been brought in. But um, I think the game, especially, has just highlighted that World Rugby do need to have a look at it, and I think they will do. It's the very first time that we've really seen that rule scrutinised, and it has, well, completely failed. I, I don't think um, that would be controversial to to say whatsoever. Um, George, coming on to you, you've already talked about the Italy versus Scotland game, um, and that you feel that Scotland Scotland really need to win that and win that convincingly to help the rest of their tournament, but. If you flip it completely and look at it from an Italian point of view, do you think there's any opportunity that they can get something out of that game? They played pretty well two years ago when Scotland came to visit. They, they weren't able to get any points on the board that day, losing 17-0. Um, but, but do you think there's anything that Italy can get out of that game and then going on to Wales in the rest of the tournament? Or do you think that the writing's on the wall for them another, another pointless and, and winless year? Uh, look, I'd love to say that Italy will be competitive in their final two games against Scotland and Wales, but the reality is they're just they're just not at the same level as these teams physically or or or, or with the with the ball in hand or or in so many different aspects of the game. So unfortunately, I can only see a, a Scotland a Scotland win. Um, you know, I think it's maybe a little overstated how poor Scotland are at the moment. I mean, we we, we said that France, you know, are pretty pretty strong at the moment so I think Scotland are going to bounce back and they'll bounce back quite convincingly to be honest um unfortunately for Italy I'd love to see them compete but I just don't see it happening so I'm afraid well I think we're all in agreement that uh, France will probably get the win under lights in Cardiff Scotland will get the win away in Rome and England might struggle against Ireland I mean that that one we're not necessarily united on how that how, how that one's going to go but um, certainly, that will be the game of the round uh, next time out. As as I've already mentioned, those games on the Saturday are both on ITV, 2.15 and then 4.45 kickoff. And uh, on the Friday, BBC have got the Wales versus France game. Thank you to Stefan and Ben, Jess and George for all your help on today's podcast. And yeah, we'll see or you'll hear us hopefully next week for a preview of uh, round four. Thank you very much.